Most of you know me as Patrick, but I have a confession. Patrick is not my first name. My first name is Michael. I go by my middle name, right? Which for most of the time doesn't really make a big impact on my life. But uh, where it has been impactful is that there have been a few times where someone has booked an airline ticket for me under my middle name, which is problematic. So if you, uh, probably a lot of us know um, that if your airplane ticket doesn't perfectly match your ID, there's a chance that they will just turn you away at the, at the door. So uh, several times in my life, I've gotten to the airport realizing that my middle name is written on my ticket and wondering, am I going to be able to get on this plane? Will I be turned away at the gate? So whenever we go to fly, uh, what we have written on our ticket determines whether we're allowed to go past security. Now, our text today deals with entrance, not into airport security, but entrance into the kingdom of God. There's a way in which what we have written on our ticket will determine whether we are allowed entrance into the kingdom. Some of us uh, want to enter in our own way, and we want to uh, have a ticket that says good person or good deeds or he did enough. But what we find in Scripture is that Jesus makes this claim in, in our passage today that the way into the kingdom is a narrow door. We don't enter by our own way. So what I hope we will see in our text today is that since Jesus is the only way into the kingdom, we must strive to enter through him. Let me say that again. Since Jesus is the only way into the kingdom, we must strive to enter through him. So our text today is Luke 13, 22 to 35. Uh, you'll find the words uh, printed in your bulletin. It's also in the Pew Bibles on page uh, 1110. Before we uh, read our scripture together, uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you that you are not just a God who sets things into motion and leaves us alone. But Lord, you have made yourself known. You have made yourself known through your word and you have made yourself known to us such that we can know you. We thank you for this privilege to study your word together today and we pray that you would open our eyes to see the truth and that you would open our hearts to apply this truth to our lives. We pray this for your glory and your kingdom. Amen. So again, our text is uh, Luke 13, starting in verse 22. We read, He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. 
when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from the east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came to him and said, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day. I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children under, or to get children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Once again, since Jesus is the only way into the kingdom, we must strive to enter through him. So as we've been making our way through uh, the gospel of Luke, we've been on this journey to Jerusalem. Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem, and as he's uh, heading this way, he's been teaching about his death and about uh, what his uh, followers must do to follow him. And if we're honest, a lot of these texts are very difficult. Jesus asks his followers to do difficult things, and he points to a difficult thing that he is about to do in Jerusalem. And this theme of difficult teachings from Jesus continues in our text today. So uh, we're going to first consider verses 22 to 30. And the major point for this section can be summed up in Jesus' words in, verses 24, in verse 24. Excuse me. Strive to enter through the narrow door. We read in verse 22, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Will those who are saved be few? Maybe this is a question that you've uh, had before, right? Maybe you look at the world and you wonder, Lord, will you bring great revival or will only a remnant remain? Will the Lord open the eyes of the blind or will the world continue in its course? Will those who are saved be few? 
It's tempting to wonder about this question, even to start to speculate. But look at how Jesus responds. He doesn't really give a straightforward answer to this question. No, he turns the question and he says, strive to enter through the narrow door. So he doesn't tell us the number of people that will be saved. Instead, he, he turns to instruct and he says, regardless of what anyone else does, you strive. You strive to enter the narrow door. It is a narrow door. Now, this word strive is the same word that we get the word agonize from. So the sense of this word is that it, is, uh, it requires effort. It's not easy. It, it might even require pain. It can be tempting for us to start to think, we, we know salvation is by grace through faith, so isn't this gift of receiving grace passive? It's receiving, right? But the Bible tells us that the gift of grace is not something we receive passively. Jesus exhorts us to act. He says, strive to enter. And so, church, we must actively pursue living in light of the gospel. We must be careful to to clarify what the gospel is, and then we live in light of it. So much of the Bible Think about Paul's teaching. It's, it's saying, this is who you are in Christ, and now live out who you are in Christ. We must strive to enter by the narrow door. We have to reject a kind of faith that would say, enter and then relax. It's smooth sailing from there. Because that's not what the Bible tells us doesn't teach that the Christian life will be easy. In fact, it's often the exact opposite. Earlier in Luke, we saw Jesus teaching, in order to follow him, you must pick up your cross daily. Now, we hear this teaching, and it, it doesn't really strike the same sort of uh, surprise that it would have had to Jesus' listeners. A cross is a, an execution method. And Jesus is telling us we need to die to our flesh daily. We need to die to our worldly desires. That is difficult work. As the culture moves further away from a biblical worldview, it's likely that we'll find following Christ is less and less comfortable. This shouldn't come as a surprise. In fact, It's not out of the norm of history. The comfortable Christ follower is more of the anomaly. So we cannot be uh, surprised when it's difficult. We must prepare ourselves for the difficulties. So for some of us, striving to enter by the narrow door might be striving to stand firm in biblical truth when the cultural current is rushing over you. And it might feel like you are the only one there. And it is difficult. It is striving. It is a struggle. 
We are called to, to keep a steady trust in the Lord through all of this. But this is not the only way that we might be called to strive today. For those who are not yet Christians, striving might be being here. It might be asking questions and seeking after the truth. For some of us who are Christians but who struggle with doubt, it might be pressing into the questions and seeking the truth because Jesus taught that whoever asks will receive, whoever seeks will find, and whoever knocks, the door will be open to. So, brothers and sisters, we must earnestly seek the Lord. For some of us, striving is going to mean putting our sins to death. There might be sins that, that you have been uh, allowing to just uh, fester and, and, and stay but sin is like a cancer. It's like a mold. You don't just let mold grow in your house. You have to get rid of it. And it's this continual cycle of confession and repentance. That is what it means to, to, to pick up your cross daily to follow Christ. And that might be what it means for you today to strive to enter by the narrow door, to, to trust the Lord, to put your sin to death. For some, you might be walking through a difficult season and striving might mean to hold fast to the hope that is in the gospel. When the cares and struggles of this world are pressing in, the demands of this life, striving might mean to recognize that your hope is not in the kingdom of this world, your hope is in the kingdom of the world to come. So striving might look different for all of us, but strive we must. And we must recognize that striving is not something that we just do when the opportunity presents itself. We need to have a pattern of striving after the Lord. So how are you striving to enter by the narrow door? Do you set aside time to listen to God's word? Do you have a pattern of seeking him in prayer? One great litmus test for us to, to see, are we making strides towards the door is to ask this question. Is my love for God and my love for neighbor growing? And if it's not, why isn't it? So brothers and sisters, let us uh, ask ourselves, what are we striving for? And let us ask ourselves this, what is one step that we might take today to strive toward the Lord? What is one step that you might take? This is a question that we should all earnestly consider today. Now, Jesus grounds his exhortation to strive to enter by the narrow door in this fact. Many will seek to enter and will not be able. Then we read in verse 25, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, 
open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Brothers and sisters, there will be a day when the door will be shut and there will be no more striving. We need to know that as a concrete fact. One day our lives will end and we will meet the Lord. And then we continue to read in verse 26. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. So these people appeal uh, to their familiarity with God. They, prepare, they, they are familiar with Jesus. They've heard his teachings. They've uh, walked with him. And yet familiarity does not equal faith. Some of these people might be curious about this man performing great signs and they want to hear what he has to say. They hear his teaching, but they do not follow. Curiosity does not equal faith. And the master responds to them, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. They're familiar with the teachings of the Lord, but they are strangers to the Lord. Now, Jesus' primarily Jewish audience might have thought that they would gain the kingdom by virtue of their lineage. They might think, after all, we are the covenant people of God. We are children of Abraham. But Jesus teaches entrance to the kingdom is not given by natural birth. It is by spiritual birth. We must be born again. No one is born a Christian. You can grow up in a Christian home. You can hear the gospel all your life and you can never respond to it. You can never make Christ the Lord of your life. We might be tempted that we can gain entrance by virtue of our proximity to the people of God and to the word of God, but proximity does not equal faith. Being around Christians, hearing God's word taught, these are not the defining lines that we're given in Scripture. We're not given entrance by church attendance. In fact, if we start to trust in our church attendance, or if we start to trust in our head knowledge, even in uh, our knowledge of the right doctrines, if we trust anything apart from Christ for our salvation, then we've taken our eyes off the narrow door. For some of us, we might be tempted to make our very striving into a new kind of door. We think if I strive, then that's the door. If we're not careful, we can miss looking at the real door. Christ is the door. We might work very, very hard And we might not be moving closer to the kingdom. So yes, we are called to strive. But the way to do it is with our eyes on Christ. It is a strive of faith. We must strive in faith. So church, 
let all of our striving be a striving toward Christ. Examine your heart today. Are you striving for Christ? Are you striving for his kingdom? Or are you striving for your kingdom? That's what we need to ask. And as a church, we, uh, we must seek to make decisions based on how we are striving to Christ. We do this collectively as a church. We also need to do this individually. Am I making decisions based on uh, the, the direction towards Christ? Or am I seeking to build my kingdom? If we fail to heed this call that Jesus gives us, we are warned. In verse 28, we read, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Life outside the kingdom is a dreadful place. Is it, a, it is a desolate, lifeless place. And this urgency ought to impact how we view our mission as a church. Are we constantly aiming to know Christ and make Christ known? This is the goal that we need to keep uh, central. We, we need to keep the gospel central to the church. If we ever uh, start to drift from keeping our eyes on Christ, then we are headed towards destruction. It's not unprecedented for churches to lose their focal point of the gospel, to start to drift in their focus, to grow stale to the richness and the promises of the gospel. And so, church, it, it takes work. Together, we must strive to keep the gospel central. To safeguard against this, we must be a people who strive to internalize the word of God. Are you reading the word of God? Are you meditating on it? One way that we might strive together to do this is to start to, to find people that you can meet together to read the Bible with. It doesn't uh, take a, a whole lot of preparation. Just come and read the Bible and talk together. That might be one way that we would strive. If we don't do this, it's tempting to abandon God's word in favor of the false gospel alternatives of the world. So we need to keep the gospel central. This is why we covenant together. And this is why we reaffirm our covenant together. It's a commitment to strive together to know Christ and to make him known. So we commit to keeping the gospel central to the life of this church. That means holding fast to the teaching of Jesus, even when they're hard teachings, right? The, the world would want us to abandon the central component of this message today. The truth that many will not be able to enter the kingdom. This is offensive to our modern sensibilities. But we must recognize that truth is not a matter of majority opinion or even uh, our, our own opinion. 
And as hard as a truth might be to hear for our modern ears, we commit to trusting the word of God. And in in the midst of this, in the midst of this difficult message that not many will be able to enter, we see a remarkable note of hope. As we continue in verse 29. And people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is telling of the fact that God will gather people from all nations and tribes and tongues, and they will sit together in the kingdom of God, giving him worship. So yes, the Bible makes claims of exclusivity. And at the same time, there is a wonderful, hopeful message to those who are far off. God extends salvation to all who trust in Christ. So while it is exclusive to those in Christ, the door is open to all who would come. There is no special qualifications, no monetary or educational requirements. It's not limited by culture or by ethnicity. The door is open to all. It's remarkable, really, that in this passage where our culture would be so uh, offended by the exclusivity of the gospel, there is no worldview that is more inclusive. In Christ, there is unmatched diversity, and there is unmatched unity. Think about this. People from nations that hate each other will dine together in the kingdom of God. Those gathered in the kingdom will represent the most diverse gathering of people that we could possibly imagine. And what binds the people of the kingdom together? The gospel. It is Christ. He is the centripetal force around the kingdom of God. He is the centripetal force of of the church. And what this means for us is that we should strive for unity in Christ alone. Our unity is not based in anything else. It's not grounded in uh, similar interests or in natural compatibility. It is the fact that we have the same shepherd who gathers us So my encouragement to us is that we should seek relationships in the church with people that are very different from us. This is a challenging thing to do at times. It's something, a work that that God must do. He is the the unity. Let us be uh, bound by his spirit of unity. We ought to be able to have great depths of relationship even with those that are most different from us, because what unites us is so much greater than what would divide us. If our unity is in Christ. Okay, so now let's zoom out and see what what Jesus has just taught. On one side, you have entrance into the kingdom of God, and on the other side, you have 
exclusion. You have being cast out. This raises the question, what's the essential difference between the people that would enter and the people that are cast out? Maybe that's a question that you're asking now. I think verses 31 to 35 show us the answer. What we see in these verses is that Christ is a willing Savior. But we must be willing to receive his salvation. Christ is a willing Savior, but we must be willing to receive. So soon after Jesus is taught this message about entrance into the kingdom of God, these Pharisees come and warn Jesus that Herod is seeking to kill him. But Jesus knows the journey that he's on. He's going to Jerusalem to die for the forgiveness of sins. So he essentially shrugs off this warning. And then he says, starting in verse 32, this is Jesus' response to Herod. Go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. What we see here is that God's plan for redemption is sure. Jesus will not die at the hand of Herod. He will make it to Jerusalem And he will die in Jerusalem. He's not trying to avoid his death. He willingly goes towards it. Christ is willing to die. And in this, Christ models for us trust in God's plan for redemption. Christ is willing to die because he knows what his death will bring. If we consider the context of the passage, it's Christ's death that opens the door. In fact, his death is the spark that sets off the gathering of the people from the corners of the earth. And so it is in his death that he is about to accomplish what he just has taught in these previous verses. Christ is the way because he willingly went to the cross that we might find life in him. And now we'll see that he is not only willing to die, but he is willing to to gather. So verses 34 to 35. We come to this lament over Jerusalem. These verses are striking. And to feel the full weight of these verses, we we need to understand who Jerusalem is. How how scripture uh, paints Jerusalem as the most important city in the world. Jerusalem is the city of the temple. That is the the dwelling place of God himself. It's also the city of the king. It's the city of, of David where God's anointed reigns. Not only that, Jerusalem is the mountain of God where uh, salvation will go out from and where the nations will gather to Zion. We're told in Isaiah that there will be new heavens and a new earth, and it is represented by new Jerusalem. This is an important city. 
This is the city that we are called uh, to hope in the new Jerusalem. This will be a joyous place, a holy mountain and a temple city. Everything that was lost in the Garden of Eden will be restored. Man will dwell securely with God. This is the picture of Jerusalem in the Bible. Now listen to the contrast between this picture of Jerusalem and Jesus' words. Verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Striking. In Jesus' day, Jerusalem is not what Jerusalem will be. We get a picture here of Christ's heart towards the lost. He says uh, he would gather them. As a hen gathering her brood under her wings, this communicates protection and care. Jesus is saying that he would gather his people if they were willing. So this lament demonstrates Jesus' heart for the lost. If only they would repent, if only they would turn to him, then he would, they would be welcomed with the warm embrace of a willing Savior. We have a willing Savior. But Jerusalem is not willing. Not willing to be gathered by the Lord. So we want to ask ourselves, remember, uh, we're asking, what is the essential difference between entrance and being cast out? Well, let's ask ourselves, what is Jerusalem guilty of here? They kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. This tells us that Jerusalem is guilty of rejecting the word of God. Just as their forefathers rejected the word delivered through the prophets in Jesus' day, they now reject the word made flesh. And then we read the result in verse 35. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the result of rejecting the word of God is that the city is forsaken. We must recognize that rejection of the word of God is rejection of God himself. We need to know that. This is the essential component that would cause some to enter and some to be cast out. It is our willingness to be gathered by God's word, by receiving God's word, to be gathered by being shepherded by him. Church, we must be a people that are willing to be gathered. We, we must be a people that are not shaped by the world, not shaped by our fleshly desires, not shaped by the cares and the worries and the culture. We are shaped by the word of God and the spirit of God at work in us. That is what we must be. So 
Maybe you've entered here today thinking that you don't feel like you're in the best place with God. But look, church, we have a willing Savior. We must be willing to be gathered. So if we would think to ourselves, who am I to receive the kingdom? We would be thinking in the right direction. There is nothing in us that would cause us to receive the kingdom. No, we need to receive it. So yes, that means strive. Strive after him. Church, let us strive after the Lord. Let us uh, seek him, seek to behold his glory and move towards him. We ought to uh, think of ourselves as, as a people on a mission towards a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let, let us not plant our roots here in this world. But no, let us strive to enter by the narrow door for it is good. This life will fade. Everything will be burnt up except for what is in Christ. So brothers and sisters, let us plant our, our, our hope there, our desires there, our goals in life. Everything should be pointed in one direction. And how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this individually? That's one question we need to be asking. When we ask ourselves, what is one way I can strive towards the Lord today? Ask yourself individually. Can I keep God's word in my heart? Can I treasure it more? Can I do something today, concrete, to take a step towards the Lord? And then as a church, we ask, how can we keep each other pointed in one direction toward the narrow door. If you have the wrong name written on your ticket, there will be no entry. The truth is that with our own names written on the ticket, we would all be turned away from the kingdom. None of us is worthy to enter, but in Christ, we are given a new ticket with his name on it. So, brothers and sisters, let us trust in his righteous identity and let us live in his righteous identity. Let us recognize that Jesus is the only way into the kingdom and let us strive to enter through him.